So good morning again. You guys don't sound too awake today. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Nate Arnold, and uh, we've been uh, preaching through a four-part series on um, how to study your Bible. And this will be our last sermon in that series. And uh, let's kind of recap for just maybe 30 seconds. We talked about that when we come to study our Bible, that we need to approach it from the perspective of Christ in, in, in every passage. We need to look at the Bible through the lens of Christ, and, and we need to make sure that we're seeing Christ, not necessarily in every passage, but the work of Christ and what he's done in the Bible as we go through it. The second thing that we, um, we talked about, we talked about that the Bible is not a magic book. The Bible's not a magic book. In other words, un, contrary to popular belief, if you use the proper tools and study methods, that you're not going to make the Bible say anything that you want it to say. You can't. It, it actually has one interpretation with many applications. And then last week, I, I, I didn't do so well, I thought. After I critiqued myself, I, I listened to my sermons, and about midway, I, I don't know where I went. But, um, and I apologize for that. <laughs> but, but uh, we, we began to drill down a little into the Scripture, and we began to look at the Scripture and what the Scripture supplies to us. And, and one of those great things that the Scripture supplies to us is the understanding that we are justified. In other words, as we go through the plain teaching of Scripture, we begin to see these great teachings and great doctrines. And so God has supplied in His Scripture the understanding that we are justified, and that's just one of the marvelous things. And today, we're going to look at how not only the Scripture supplies us with salvation and justification, but we're going to look at the fact that the Scripture tells us that we are gifted, we are each gifted, and we are equipped to grow. We are gifted and we are equipped to grow. And Christ has provided to the church and to each particular congregation the gifts and the machinery to carry out his requirements for building the body so that each member, each individual member of the congregation can mature and become like Christ. And the truth be told, we often doubt this. Whether we doubt it in what we say, we doubt it in, in how we act and how we carry out the functions of the kingdom. We often doubt this and we get our eyes fixed on our circumstances or whatever we think is missing within those circumstances and we panic. We all do it. We panic. And we try to compensate for all the things that we think that are lack, lacking or missing. And when in fact, as we look at Scripture today, we're going to see that God has provided, is providing, and will provide all that is necessary for us to become like Christ, because that's the goal, for us to become like Christ. And these come through us through commitment, personally, a personal commitment, uh, and participation in a local congregation. This is how Christ grows us. And as we study the word, we get this from this. Well, I'm not going to cover the whole passage that we read today. I, I asked for that to be read so that you could get the context of what Paul's speaking in. I'm only going to handle verse 7, and then I'm going to drop down through 11 through the rest of the chapter. Okay, So I'm really only going to unpack verse 7. We don't have enough time. To do, to do that and, and stay with the point. So I'll start with verse 7 this morning, 
But if we are gifted and if we are equipped to grow, one thing about being gifted and equipped to grow is growth is a continuous, continuous and lifelong process. You don't just come into this world and then you're now an adult, right? That only happened to Adam, as far as I know. Uh, the rest of us, we have to go through a process. So growth is a continual process, a continuous cycle, and, and a lifelong process. But I want you to see, beginning in verse 7, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 7 tells us that Christ begins developing each of us at a personal level, at an individual level. He starts with each individual person. He's going to bring them together a little later here. But each person, everyone under the sound of my voice, who is a follower of Christ, has a gift. Think about that. Everyone under the sound of my voice who is a follower of Christ, the Scripture says, not Nate, but the Scripture says that you have a gift. Christ has dispensed a gift to you. And he provides each believer with this gift. And that gift is to be used for the greater good in the congregation in, in which you reside, in the body. And each person has a designated function by the definition of that gift. Each person has a function by that. And we'll put Romans 12, 4 through 8 on the screen for you. But this is backed up in other places in Scripture. And I, I just want to show this to you. It says, for as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts, we all have them, that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. They're meant to be used. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see that Christ begins this process of gifting and growing, not just in a great mass of people, but he starts with individuals. He starts, starts with each of us. And then we'll move down to verses 11 through 13. And this is where it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers for building up, what? For equipping the saints, right? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of Christ. So each of us are individually gifted and equipped to grow. And this part of the text tells us that we're set in a framework. There's a framework, verses 11 through 13. And this is the whole outline of Christian ministry. If you ever want anything in Scripture that outlines how church works and how the saints work within the church, this is it. This lays it out clearly, clearly for us. And it's a whole outline of Christian ministry and church life. It's, it's equipping the saints. It's, it's the saints doing the work of ministry. The body is built up and it matures to look like Christ. Now, so often we get diverted off on numbers, and numbers are important, don't get me wrong, 
Uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't grow and grow in numbers. But what I am saying is that this text says we're supposed to grow and look like Christ, doesn't it? As, as we mature. So the, the end state and the framework that's supplied here is supposed to point each of us to growing and looking like Christ. And we'll see later that whole body actually is supposed to look like Christ also. So Christ provides the offices. I want you to look at this text. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. He provides the offices and the leadership roles to the church. And in this text here, it says they're given to the church as a gift. Nate and I share a name here, and our name means gift of God. Maybe not so much, my wife says. But uh, it's true. We're given as gifts, not because we're good, not because we're smart, not be, certainly not because I'm good looking, but because Christ has said, I'm going to give this gift to the church to perform this function. And that's the sole reason these gifts are given. But these gifts are given for the purpose of equipping the saints. And to use my down-home, backwoods Georgia vernacular, that's y'all. That's every one of you. That's each individual person in here the officers in the church's job is to equip the saints. So Christ provides the offices and leadership roles to the church, which is the body, as his gift to equip the saints. You, the saints, look at the text, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You, the saints, are to grow personally. You're to, to develop your gifts. You're to know what your gift is. And you're to work and develop it, and to use them to build the body. And the goal is for all, whether individually or corporately, to unify in faith and understanding and become like the pastor, the preacher, the elders. No, to become like Christ, right? So this leads us to a couple of questions, and I want to ask, uh, they'll, they'll might be a little uncomfortable, but let's, let's handle them. Uh, it leads us to a couple of questions about our personal attitudes regarding growth and where each of us fit into this framework, into the church that Christ has set forth. So my first question to you, and it's to me also, are you here to be fed or are you here to work for Christ? Are you here to be fed or are you here to work for Christ. Now, before you get twitchy, the answer is both. Okay? The answer is actually is both. But there should be a balance. There should be a balance in emphasis between being fed and, wor and working. And, and that framework that we talked about, this context that we sit in, sit in, provides that. And there's a danger when either side gets leaned to, is there? If I want to be fed all the time, what happens? It's me, 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 right? And then I become, I call it the Dead Sea Syndrome. Uh, does everybody remember your geography and studying the Dead Sea? The Dead Sea, the shores of the Dead Sea are the lowest dry land place on the planet. They're 400 meters below sea level. That's 1,300 feet below sea level. And the Dead Sea itself is another 1,000 feet deep. And all it has is one inflow, which is the Jordan River, and we've discovered recently there's, there's some springs in it also feeding it, but there's no output. There's no output from the, Jordan, or from the uh, Dead Sea. It just gets to the Jordan River, and it stops, 
And as a matter of fact, right now it's receding at a rate of one meter per year. It's going down through evaporation. So when it's all about me, 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 feed me, I become like the Dead Sea. There's no output. There's nothing going out. It's everything is, is coming in. So that's what happens when we focus on being fed. Conversely, what about all output? What if all I do is give, 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 go, 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 and I never stop, and I never refresh myself, and I, I never study God's Word and pray, and I never come to church and, and get refilled and worship with the people of God? What happens to me? I got nothing to give, right? It just turns into a dry riverbed. It turns into an empty well, and people get burned out. So there's a balance provided to us by this framework. But let's fine-tune our question just a little more so that we line up with our text. Are you here to be fed? Or are you here to be equipped? That's a better question, I think. Are we, as Christians and in a congregation, are we here to be fed? Are we here to be equipped? And again, scripturally speaking, the answer is both. And it depends on your stage of development and ministry, doesn't it? And we'll look at some scriptures here in a minute. But babes, or new believers in Christ, people who have recently come to Christ, need to be fed, right? They need to be, by nature, we know this. They need to be fed a lot. We like our babies plump and pink, right? We want to shove food in their mouth as, as much as, as they want. Maybe not for some of us. But... They're, they're not, and they're not expected to act like an adult, are they? They're allowed to interrupt, to cry, to whine, to do all kinds of things that an adult would be uh, seriously chastised for um, if they did it. But babes, new believers, are to be fed a lot. Babes have voracious appetites. We'll put First Peter up here. And they're supposed to. Scripturally, a babe in Christ is supposed to have a voracious appetite. They should. It's natural. Babes have that. And uh, says, so uh, Peter here says uh, that uh, don't, uh, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to what? Salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So babes have this voracious appetite. You don't need to tell them when to eat. They tell you. And scripture encourages that attitude when we handle babes in our congregation. But what about adults? There are people who've been in the faith a while. There are people who are grown or are mature in Christ, or maturing, at least, in Christ. And adults know where to get healthy food, don't they? They know where to go. They, at least they should. They should know where to, to go and begin to mine, mine their scripture and begin to get in Bible studies and begin to uh, attend church and take notes and scribble all over their Bibles and engage with the text and, and talk about Christ among themselves. And by the way, just a quick aside, you ever notice you can't scribble on your iPhone? Might be a little hindrance to, to, to that type of study. But anyway, adults know where to get, get uh, healthy food. And adults are fed a different diet. They get a completely different kind of food in order to mature. We like our adults lean and capable. We don't want them plump and pink, right? We want them to be lean and capable. Some of us, like me, might be a little plump. But that's, that's the goal. We want our adults lean and capable. And they're expected to function at a much higher level than babes. And it is unnatural 
unnatural for a mature adult to act like a child. My wife tells me this all the time. That's unnatural, Nate. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, dear. I always get the last word in my house. Yes, dear. Matter of fact, my wife came to me on her knees the other day. She said, come out from under that bed, you coward. Well, that's a different story. Uh, but adults, they should not act like a child. I love Tim Keller's. Tim Keller has a great uh, demonstration of this. He says, if your seven-year-old son comes to you and says, Dad, uh, can I go out and play Frisbee with my friends? You'll say, okay, son. Have you done your chores? Why, yes, Dad, I've done my chores. Have you done... Uh, you know, your homework. Yes, Dad, I've done my homework. Have you got your bed made? Have you got your school books and your backpack, everything ready to go for tomorrow? Yes, Dad, we're rocking. All right, you can go play Frisbee with your friends. But fast forward 13 years. Now, your 20-year-old son calls you from college. You pick up your cell phone. Hey, Dad, how's it going? What's happening? Well, not much. I just thought I would call, you know, some of the guys are about to go out in the quad and play Frisbee. And I just thought I'd call up and see if it was okay if I went and played Frisbee. You would naturally go, what is wrong with you, you know? I don't know if you can go play Frisbee. You know your schedule. You know what you got to do. You know what to get done. You should be able to manage your uh, schedule there. You're an adult. And we would naturally treat that person completely different. And the scriptures teach us that failure to mature is an unnatural state. Let's look at that in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. And the writer of Hebrews is addressing uh, his audience, and he says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So the Bible tells us clearly that it is unnatural to remain, even though we're supposed to come into the kingdom of Christ as a child, we are supposed to grow up and take our part in the congregation. John chapter 2, we're talking about being fed here for a second, but John chapter one or 21 tells, uh, Christ tells Peter, he says, feed my lambs, he tells him to tend my sheep, and he says, feed my sheep. But the word in our text here is not feed. It's not feed. And I want to look at that just a second. Verse 12, it says to equip. And the word, the Greek word underlying that means to equip or thoroughly furnish. To equip or thoroughly furnish. Matter of fact, the King James, if you're using the King James, it says to perfect the saints. In other words, to provide them with everything that they might need uh, to make things happen. So, as we progress to spiritual adulthood, the biblical expectation is for us to be equipped and to take our place in Christ's body. And I want to say that this is a cooperative effort. Saints utilize the equipment that they are given. The congregation, we the people who are sitting in the pews, utilize the equipment that we're giving to build the body. 
Often, many churches try to dump that on the minister. Oh, you're the pro here, you do it. That's not the biblical framework that, that Christ lays out here. But the saints utilize the equipment for building the body, and if you study your Bible and you look around, you'll see Paul very often uses the analogy of a soldier or the analogy of an athlete, an athlete. And each one of those people use equipment, don't they? Each one of those people have to have good equipment to function and to do their job. Soldiers, obviously, and athletes, good shoes or whatever they're doing. And we should actively pursue our spiritual equipment the same way we do our personal equipment. Show of hands, how many people research stuff before you buy it? Yeah, you want to know if it's good. <laughs> you, you want to know that you're getting good stuff, that the material or the equipment that you're purchasing and spending your good money for is going to carry out the function that you want it to. Otherwise, it winds up in a pile in the garage and, and goes out in a yard sale. And it's weird. I said it was weird to not mature, but it's also weird or abnormal. As a matter of fact, I would even say unsafe to be missing part of your equipment. Now, I want to handle a very quickly, but I want to handle a passage that's probably very familiar to most of you, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And most people go into this and they look at the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and, and, and look at all the different accoutrements or different parts of the equipment. But I want to back up to the beginning of that verse and I want us to see that Paul is not really, that's, that's a second point that he is making within the text. It's not the primary point that he's making within the text. Paul's point in 6, 10 through 18, especially in the first part, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole. He tells us this twice. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. And then Paul proceeds to describe the equipment of a Roman soldier and how it relates to our Christian life. So imagine yourself with Paul and you're watching a group of Roman soldiers go by and it would stick out very quickly to you that that dude doesn't have his shield. Where's he going? <laughs> that, that dude doesn't have his sword. And you look at the back of the column and, you know, a hundred yards behind the, the column, you see some guy hobbing along. He, he doesn't have his shoes. He's not ready to go into battle. He doesn't have his equipment. He can't function the way that he's designed, trained, and equipped to function because he doesn't have his equipment with him. Well, after equipping, the, the text goes right into the, one of the purposes here, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, why would Paul say this? Why would we need to come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God? Well, this results in a singleness of purpose. If a church, you guys have a mission statement. You know why you exist here. 
you know your purpose in this setting where God has placed you. We all come to the unity of the faith. We understand the faith the same way. There's a singleness of purpose. And it also creates a common understanding. You can communicate at a much higher level, can't you, when you all have a common understanding. When you all have been trained the same way, when you have the same basic training. We say it in the Marine Corps, we say it in the Navy. In the Marine Corps, we say every man's a rifleman. So it doesn't matter what your specialty is. When it, things get hot, everybody knows how to handle a rifle. And in the Navy, we say that everybody's a damage controlman because when you got water coming in the people tank, that's a bad thing. And everybody learns how to do damage control, no matter what else your specialty. And it's, it's the same with the church. And, and there's a higher order of communication and function, and people naturally begin to use their gifts. And we understand the work of the kingdom here. We have a grip on the basics. We know why we give. We know why we preach. We know why we teach. We know why we witness, why we share Christ. We know how we love, how we pray, how to use the scriptures, and how to share the gospel. We, we get it. There's a common understanding. And the church can move out smartly and, and carry its function. And then as we mature, our goal here in verse 13b, the last half of 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to mature manhood. And I like the way Paul puts it. He says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To mature manhood, to the measure, think of if those of you that had ki have kids, you're always drawing the line, right? Somewhere on the wall, somewhere in your house or in a closet, there's, there's a place with little lines because that kid wants to grow up and measure up to the full stature of his family. He wants to see that he's getting there. It's a desire of his, and, and they will drive you nuts till you go do that, you know, until you go measure for them. They want, they want to see where they are. We should be the exact same way, and our goal is to look like Christ. As a matter of fact, in Acts 11, chapter 26, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Why do you think, if they were supposed to measure up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, why do you think they were called Christians? Because they looked exactly like Christ, right? Matter of fact, it was probably a derogatory term. They said, oh, you look like Christ, or oh, you're a follower of Christ. And it was probably pejorative in that sense. But we actually adopted it. Up until that time, we were called the way. But we actually took that on board. Yeah, that's the right thing. And from that time on in Antioch, we all bear the name Christians because they understood that we're supposed to look like Christ. So another question for you. Do we live up or do we measure up to our calling in such a way that the people around us, around each of us, would look at you or me or anyone else and go, they're a Christian, they're a follower of Christ. Do we do that? Are we that way? Do we get so busy trying to fit in places that we become invisible? Well, also we see in our text that maturity provides safeguards. Verse 14 Maturity provides safeguards. We're no longer children tossed to and fro. And these same safeguards come through proper equipping, proper training, getting the proper materials in your hands. This provides safeguards so that you're not tossed about. And these safeguards are strengthened as we operate within the context of a body, a properly functioning body. 
and it provides the checks and balances that each one of us needs. Hey, Nate, you messed that up. You're not thinking right. Let me show you this in Scripture. We get some good checks and balances there that we need. And there's individual and corporate aspects of maturity. It says here, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. And speaking there is actually probably more of a metaphor for practicing. It probably means, the Greek word is speaking, but just like up in verse 1 of our original text, we saw that walk meant how you live your life. Speaking here is probably has to do with uh, practicing. But practicing what we learn, we're to grow and to look like Christ. We're to practice the truth. We're to have that outflow of what we learn. Uh, and we're to love just like Christ loved. And as we daily live out the truth of the gospel, we grow. We grow. As we struggle to put Christ in action in our lives, we grow. Why do we grow? Because we understand better how to do it through experience. I'm better at my job, hopefully, now than I was 10 years ago because I have experience, and that goes a long way to applying the information that I know. Romans 5, 3 through 5 tells us not only, but that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So we see individually uh, this, uh, this individual aspect. Corporately, the whole body here is equipped. The whole body is organized. The whole body has a unified purpose and labors together. And it grows in love and it looks like Christ. It looks like Christ. In America, we're all about the individual. But I can assure you, as many Arnold Schwarzenegger movies as you watch, one guy cannot take on 500 guys with guns and live. It's not going to happen. And we tend to have that into our, in our ethos and our ego, and, and we're all about that. And the scripture tells us that the power is in the mature body, in the body of believers that are willing to lay down our lives for each other. Let me ask you, who would you rather face? Would you rather face a single person or would you rather face a, a well-equipped army that's well-trained and knows how to use their equipment? Pretty straightforward answer. Well, let's land the airplane. Biblically speaking, I kind of end where I begin here. Christ, and I'm going to put this in your context, Christ has provided the Two Rivers congregation with the gifts, the framework, and the equipment to carry out his requirements for building the body. So that each member, each member can mature and to become like Christ. So that the gospel can be preached in the community where he has planted you guys. He has planted you among your friends, among your families, and in your neighborhoods. And Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, our text today, outlines Christ's provision for his church. And I want you to know that according to the scripture, Christ has well provisioned you. I would say that you are well provisioned. You have good elders. You have a good pastor. You have all the tools and good teachers that, that you need. 
all you need to do from this point on is take Christ at his word. And if you're new to Christ, and you're under the sound of my voice this morning, grow, 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 eat, pig out, (laughs) eat, grow, learn. That's what you're supposed to do. We looked at that. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, I have people tell me this all the time, and we teach spiritual gift class in our congregation, but if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, find out. It's your job. You have one, and it's supposed to be used. If you lack equipment, get every piece of equipment that you need. Work at it. Go for it. Get it. If you have equipment, make sure it's ready and make sure you have it with you at all times. It's pretty bad to wind up in a firefight when you left your rifle at the chow hall. It's useless. You're you're unable to put it to work. And then take up the whole armor of God and go in the name and love of Jesus Christ. Now, I have had several conversations with probably six or seven of you that are expressing concern about your size, about what's, you've lost people and things like that. So I want to talk to you for a minute about this passage. And many of you have been praying and fasting and wondering what to do next. And in a very real sense, I will tell you this, and I'll tell you this as a military person, as a military officer, the air war has started. If you have started fasting and praying, the air war has started for you. And it's, it's, it's about to get going in earnest. But I want to tell you that no matter how many shells or how many bombs or how many missiles you park on a piece of dirt, you don't own it until you have boots on the ground. You don't own that piece of land. It's just no man's land. So it's your job to go and, and take this. And you have to bear the risk and go. You have to work. You have to use your gift. And it's much better to go with a mature army. It's way better to go with your brothers and sisters than to try to go by yourself. And I urge each of you to pursue hard after spiritual maturity and take your place in the ranks of your congregation, exercising your various gifts to the glory of Christ. And I leave you with this one final verse up here, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, very familiar to all of you. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. Let's pray. Father, we saw, we've seen in your text today that you've equipped us, and we forget that. We forget that your word flatly says, patently says, that we are equipped, that we're gifted, and that in your providence, that no matter how small the group is or how large the group is, that everything is there that is necessary to function the way that you've called us to do. So, Lord, I pray for this congregation, as this is our last sermon, that you would help them to grasp that, that you would set them on fire, give them a burning desire to grow, to mature, to work, to labor, to take that ground which you've opened up for them through prayer, 
that they would become a homogenous body that has a common language, that has a common faith and a common desire to be like Christ. And that, Lord, that you would add whatever number to them you choose. Lord, if it's a thousand, if it's, it's a thousand. If it's a hundred, it's a hundred. If it's ten, it's ten. But that each person would be growing and striving and seeking to be mature like Christ. So that we honor our great Lord and Savior who's commanded us to go and to tell everyone about him. And it's in his glorious name we ask this. Amen.